Hello, uh, everybody. Hello, world. Welcome to another pointless edition of Football Unfocused, the poor quality, chronic waste of time football podcast that myself, Mark, and my uh, friend and esteemed colleague, Matthew, uh, churn out on a weekly basis on the whole, don't we, Matt? (laughs) I know. I know. For as much as you pan what we're doing, we're we're quite regular in in, in its output. We acknowledge that it's a waste of time. But we waste that time on a quite consistent and regular basis. We're happy to waste that time. And what that says about us is uh, not worth confronting. Is it? No, not, it's not un- on this un- podcast, un- anyway. It's a, yeah, it's a, f- fuck, it's a staggeringly uncomfortable truth about both of us that we're prepared to do this. That yeah. you know, Because we end up having a little, you know, just to give uh, you um, million, millions of people listening, a little look behind the uh, magician's cloak. Um, we tend to have uh, quite a lengthy catch-up beforehand. You know, we've been discussing our lives, our personal lives uh, today for, for about half an hour, 40 minutes. Then we do this shit, and then we say our little goodbye. So it writes off around an hour and a half, really. <laughs> yeah, it's quite significant. Mo- mo- most people during the working week haven't got that time to burn, but... Matthew and I, we find it, oh, we find it, and we burn it. Don't we, Matt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, despite uh, being hey? high-flying and successful executives. <laughs> well, that's it. <laughs> so, uh, Matthew. Yeah. Matthew, Matthew. Before we get on, and, and if it sounds like I'm procrastinating, um, listeners, millions of <laughs> listeners, uh, that, I really, 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 yeah. really am not. I'm definitely not going to talk more slowly than normal because I can't think of oh, anything to talk about today. So, Matthew... Yeah. With that in mind, take as long as you like over these uh, <laughs> yeah. these 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 uh, insightful questions designed to really find out the real you, and it's an ongoing project, and it can <laughs> and it continues now. Here with Matthew, <laughs> at this time of year, we all live, we all get a bit seasonal, we all get a bit frisky, don't we? Do, do you do you have? Yeah, I'm not a dog. And you, yeah, well. <laughs> You know, Joe would say different. Uh, and yeah, yeah. yeah, the state of the state of you sometimes. Yeah, I mean, you, you smell like a dog. Uh, and you act like a dog. Uh, Matthew, do, do you at this time of year, uh, at the age of uh, 39 and three quarters, do you have an advent calendar? Yes. Uh, could you please describe your advent calendar? Um. Well, they they take sort of various forms. Um, so you mean they they've got more than one. Well, we've had very yeah, sort of. You know, they they come in different. So Joe Joe's so <laughs> carry on, just carry on. Well, Joe's really crafty, and she knows oh, yeah. not crafty as in a you know sneaky. Yeah. She's she's sort of arts and crafty, mm. and um, and she knows I do like I do enjoy an advent calendar, and so she's. Aww. So she's like almost made stuff um, that I can put chocolates into, like vegan chocolates, and then I'll open them up over the 25 days, that is. Oh, yeah, and that's 24, the other thing. 24. Yeah, I know, I know. But I always said I, I find that quite a bit of a disappointment. <laughs> that, 
And so she made me one that had 25 oh. and, and was big enough for me to put a whole Terry's chocolate orange in. And so that They're was, not vegan. This was, this, yeah, so actually she made that when, um, before I went vegan. But now she's, she's done something else where she's created a load of boxes that hang on the tree. And, 20, and again, I think she specifically made one that had 25 that I could put a bit more into. That's uh, the first time since I've been investigating you as a character that I've stumbled across an answer that has made me feel warmer towards you. <laughs> and, <laughs> and seen you more less of a comedy character and more as a person, an actual person. <laughs> That's quite touching, Matthew. I very much enjoyed that answer. Do you reciprocate I'll and probably make... i cut it all out. <laughs> no, you're, you're definitely not. Do you... I'm going to refer back to that now you've told me that. Uh, uh, do you reciprocate and make something as as kind of thoughtful uh, for Joe? Who's that? That's my post just coming through. It always sounds oh, like the, the ground shaking. In. Yeah, <laughs> my my post arrives with real drama. You know, it's uh, it's, uh, it's sort of thespian post. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm not inquiring about your post just to pad this out for any more than the no, no, no. <laughs> No. Uh, do I? Re- um, I try to. I mean, you know, the answer is no, isn't it? Because the trouble is with you, well, Matthew. Very, you've got no skills. I'm not very creative. Yeah, you've got yeah. no skills or talent. And I, and I struggle to sort of think laterally. Yeah, um, God, that's the great thing about that, Matt. Is that's never come across <laughs> in the podcast. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, never don't, come t- don't tell anyone. No, don't. well, you've just told our millions of <laughs> listeners. You've showed your hand. You're yeah. so. so so, in order to make up for your lack of uh, sort of creativity and thought, what do you do to um, reciprocate Joe's beautifully thoughtful and kind Advent efforts? Yeah, I guess I, I generally sort of just um, plagiarise ideas from television programmes that I've seen. Yeah. So, like, there's obviously the Joey Tribbiani's um 30 minute massage coupon that he, he gives people um no you, you you're, you're, not you're big... stumbling you're stumbling into christmas presents here i'm asking what you oh do right as... sorry oh in the build-up to christmas yeah, i asked you about fucking advent calendars you told me that oh, joe goes I, to this how, elaborate yeah, effort, yeah. effort then you referred to plural I, your advent calendars i, I suggest the one. chocolates that she can order to put into them <laughs> Wow. So you don't actually then get her well, I, an advent. I, I've got a big... I'm very grateful. I've got a big smile. And for her, that that is the reward wow. that she... <laughs> you know, and I... Mind I, you, in the interest of transparency, I was about... I was, well, I was about to knock that, but pretty much every year since we've been together, my wonderful partner, Kelly, buys me... Cause she knows I, I like a chocolate, and she'll get me a hotel uh, chocolat... Sh- uh, uh, <laughs> advent calendar every year and this year she's gone out and bought me the one that you get like the fancier version like different yeah, one each yeah, day yeah. Um, so that, you know that's an investment she's made there and I, I and I I don't I I I go to kind of get her one every year but she genuinely can't isn't, you give her isn't one our, that you she, got in the sale from the no 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 the Christmas. problem is she's not that asked by chocolate she genuinely said to me I'd rather you brought me 24 bags of crisps <laughs> <laughs> but it just doesn't feel very festive <laughs> Oh, that would be a great advent crisp calendar. Well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll buy a box of crisps, you know, one of those pump yeah, ones yeah, with yeah, about yeah. 100 bags that given to her on Christmas Day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope she doesn't listen to this podcast before then. Uh, Matthew, second question. 
you're you a, that was? No, no, this is my second question. Yeah, you, oh. you, t- you tried to turn that into about four questions, but I asked, <laughs> yeah, right. you, I asked you a simple question about advent calendars. Question yeah. two, Matthew. You're a socialite who likes to keep yourself incredibly busy, and you're, you like to be a face <laughs> and, and a noise around town. You never rest for a moment. You're always out and about. What do you like to do on a Friday night? Oh, you're at Friday night. <laughs> you know, I do... you know, I... I'm not Matthew. This right. isn't about what I know. This is about what the yeah, listeners right. know. We're finding out <laughs> you about just you. Set me up for a Tell point. me, what do you do on a Friday night? Um... Do you put your dancing shoes on? Do you put your best shirt on? Are you out there <laughs> living it? Uh, so Friday. Oh, fuck it. This is going to be. Oh, I'm definitely cutting this. No, out. you're not. Um, it's it. It starts off with a with a pizza every pizza. week, literally every yeah. week. Uh, chips, obviously. Pizza and chips, interesting. I know, I know. You're a healthy quite... man. Well, you don't look like yeah, well, a pizza and chips sort of guy. But it's Friday night, as yeah. you just as you just speak. Uh, and then um, maybe a beer, which you know I don't. You know I, I I'm I'm not a massive beer drinker. Um, well, you, you, so, you're but a beer monster have in my eyes, Matthew. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a beer drinker. You're a nutter. A you're a nutter. <laughs> yeah. um, and then, if we've got, you know, maybe a Ben and Jerry's, you know, we'll, we'll wow. go halves in a tub. So, pizza, chips, ice cream, and maybe a beer. Yeah. That is literally Doesn't the that Friday sound night. Great? That is the Friday night of a 15 year old, isn't it? <laughs> 15 year old who isn't quite hasn't doesn't quite have enough stubble to uh to get into uh, his local regional nightclub sort of stays in and sticks his knob in a bed of jerry's brilliant thanks for that matt that's uh, added to your reputation as a uh, as a socialite matthew final question i think i've asked you um uh, about coffee in the past what your favorite coffee is the type of coffee that you enjoy Oh yeah, but did Matthew, I see that in the podcast? I, I think he did. I think he did. I think I asked oh, you a number, my. but it, but I, I will bring it up again because I'm very interested in your coffee habits, as in, as indeed I am about all of your habits. But <laughs> but Matthew, on the subject of tea, do you drink more tea or coffee on average? I'm not asking what you prefer. I'm asking which of those two drinks do you consume most frequently? Coffee, coffee, Easily. yeah, yeah, yeah. How often do you drink but- tea? Uh, once, once or twice a day. So, so hold on, you have potentially two cups of tea a day, but you still drink more coffee. So how many cups of coffee do you have a day? About well, it's not during the day. It's basically from eight a.m. to about ten. I'll just drink about four cups. Or ten as many in the cups. morning. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll just drink as many cups as I can get out of our cafeteria. Wow. <laughs> so you um, really rely on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I have to. Um, I was getting heart palpitations because I was drinking so yeah. much. And I'm, it's dangerous. So and so um, I've gone decaf for the weekends. <laughs> right. So the rest of the week, you'll just send your heart racing. <laughs> yeah. I can just sometimes. I'll just lay. I was when I was when I was like, I think I need to start drinking some decaf. I would just lay in bed and just feel my heart just like fucking thumping yeah. away. I mean, that can't be good. I mean, you're a young, fit boy. I mean, 
say well, you're, 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 yeah, yeah. you're relatively fit. Uh, you, <laughs> you've always looked so. I mean, you are a man. I mean, you know, joking aside, you're a man who's done a triathlon. So, I mean, I'm not in any position to criticize your physical fitness. No. You're, a, you're a fine specimen of a man. Uh, you've always done a lot <laughs> of cycling, a lot of rowing. Um, but still, racing your heart like that. I mean, there'll come a time yeah, when yeah, your yeah. body won't be able to take that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's Joe doesn't when, want to have to that's when peel you off the bedspread. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you won't know because it will be too late. <laughs> Joe's going to have to deal with that. You just there. Yeah, she she has to do it anyway. So yeah, fair, fair enough. Okay, <laughs> just to make sure you don't cut any of those answers, I'm going to refer throughout this podcast back uh, to the three questions that I asked you at the beginning: one, two, and three well, about uh, advent calendars, your Friday nights, and your tea slash coffee drinking habits, Matthew. <laughs> On the subject of football, which, let's face it, this is called Football Unfocused. What do you want to talk about this week? So, um, I had a thought this week. Can I stop Uh, you there? Before you... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Before you reveal... I'm just going to play a little game. I'm just going to play a little game with myself and maybe the listeners. Um, uh, Plural, listeners. Uh, (laughs) Show off. Uh, uh, (laughs) And... I'm going to guess myself that this subject that you're going to suggest is going to be quite earnest and nothing to do with the actual game. It will be like a political ramification or a scandal or something like that or a social impact. That's the that's the guess I'm having in my head. No, I know. I've tried to actually I was a bit conscious. Yeah, so it's not about child abuse. Okay. No, but aside from that, I don't think you've ever broached a subject that's actually about football, you know? It's always yeah. about, oh... No, so that's what go I on. mean. There's, so go on. So, but the problem is, is that when I genuinely try and come up with a footballing opinion, I think those are the ones that antagonise you the most in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everything about you antagonises me. But... So, so shall I go... Yeah, please. Then, the, the world holds its breath. So, <laughs> so um, I think I saw a headline. It definitely wasn't my opinion initially. So, Ralph Ragnick. Yeah, or Ranick. Yeah, Ranick. Um, there, there was a headline. I think it was of to the effect saying that Man U have sort of decided to to forgo the folly that was, you know, having Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, you know, sort of harking back to a time that um, obviously they had huge success and they've sort of done a bit of hard-nosed sort of rational thinking and felt that this this guy was was the solution. And, and then I sort of reflected on how, you know, Chelsea probably had a, a similar stint where they got Frank Lampard in um, and they'd kind of, yeah, fell for a similar sense of, um, you know... Of, sentimentality. Of sentimentality. And um, and then... And and you sort of think, OK, well, so, you know, the conclusion is that, that Premier League clubs aren't, you know, can see why this that way of thinking is, is not the best way to appoint management. But... And and despite the success, the huge success and the popularity of someone like Jurgen Klopp, um, I, they when when Steven Gerrard went to Aston Villa, there was, you know, I've seen headlines and talk about, you know, it's almost like a destiny that he was going to become mm. the Liverpool manager, mm-hmm. 
and it's and so I do find it quite surprising that you know that it is often men making these decisions. How when they're given the opportunity, those in charge of a football club, to to choose sentimentality and and sort of to to make a decision based on on their heart rather than their head, they will generally go down that route. And and so initially, I was like quite sort of past remarkable about like oh you know isn't football so silly when you've got these very rich people in charge and making these arguably quite silly decisions but then but then upon later reflection I thought actually maybe that is what makes it you know such a compelling game to to follow because you know people do act arguably a little irrationally make decisions and maybe that's you know if if it was all about a business um hard-nosed approach then maybe it wouldn't have the followers that it does Matthew can I sh- <laughs> can I shock you <laughs> if this were a uh, a, a sort of poor quality cliched uh, American film I would now start clapping <laughs> slowly with my mouth wide open and like the people around me would start slowly clapping and joining me. We'd all, <laughs> we'd so all stand cool. up. And then before you know it, everyone's like, like, And you'd be carried off head high around the place, like dancing and everyone would be chanting your name. That's genuinely brilliant observation. I don't want to patronise you, but for you, that is outstanding. <laughs> for, you. <laughs> for you, that is absolutely outstanding. Yeah. I mean, you're it, so yeah, bang on. No, no, mate, you're so bang on. You're so bang on because... If every football club was making really sound, rational business decisions all the time and everything was very kind of, you know, formulaic and um, every everything had been sort of analysed to the nth degree and, you know, had been the subject of, I don't know, like focus groups and marketeers and all those types of things that, that is the way that a lot of the world operates, then it would take some of the joy and the love and, and, and out of football. And football... The thing that engage what, why do people engage so much with football? You know, it's a very it's it it's brilliance is its simplicity. It's a, it is in essence a really simple game, easy to follow, easy to pick up, and it is kind of you know explosive and it can be exciting. It can also be you know dull and disappointing. <laughs> but if 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 all clubs were kind of run perfectly or in exactly the same way then it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a compelling spectacle and it is because of exactly things like that and also it's on the subject of kind of making making sentimental appointments I mean I think I alluded to it last week when I said about how because um, Liverpool did a similar thing in the early 90s with Graham Souness you know they'd had what they called the kind of you know the boot room dynasty which had and it, we were quite unique in that respect, certainly in English football through the 60s, 70s, 80s, whereby the next manager was evolving out of that same coaching team. And it was just seamlessly passed on with very little need for kind of, you know, large scale change in between. It would just be buying and selling the odd player, bringing people through the youth team, maybe the odd tactical tweak, but nothing revolutionary. And it just worked and worked and worked like the Soviet Union. We just go on and on and on. Whereas, um, whereas, um, you know, when that started to then run its course and maybe show a bit of sign of decline, they attempted then to bring someone else in who had that similar connection to the club but had been away. So had been away from the kind of influence but had kind of had management success elsewhere. And for a variety of reasons, which we won't go into now, it never worked out. 
I I genuinely believe that sentimental appointments can work because some of the best managers, the most successful managers in recent years and in football history have been people that have had a um, a sort of an indelible link to that club, be it as a previous player or as, you know, someone who'd worked their way up through the coaching team, someone who's from the local area. But it depends whether you you have to make them for the right reasons. The thing that that made it difficult to imagine how Solskjaer was going to succeed right from day one was the lack of, of proper quality managerial success that he'd had before getting one of the biggest jobs in world football. You look at it. He, now, there's no doubt he did a really, really excellent job with Mulder, his kind of hometown club in Norway. And it is... I don't want to be one of those kind of narrow-minded bellends who just dismisses that and say, well, that's Norwegian football. Because everything's relative, isn't it? If You've, you've still got to go in... And get a team organised and coach them, and you know, get your your kind of you know. I'm not, not going to use the, the philosophy word that the hipsters use, but you know what I mean. You, you've got to get your 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 ideas and your identity across, and you've got to get the team playing in that way. And you've got to, you know, buy and sell players wisely, promote the right youth players, and 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 kind of have that idea and and implement it. Um, but there is a, there is no doubt that there's a huge difference between that and then going to the you know one of the most globally significant football clubs and trying to then take over as manager. And I think Solskjaer's only experience outside of uh, Mulder was a brief attempt to kind of save Cardiff City halfway through uh, the a Premier League season um, in about what was it about 2014 something like that, which. Didn't end well. They went down. I think he had quite a minimal impact. Now, a lot of people cast that aside and said, oh, but, you know, he was going into a club that there was disarray between the um, the owners and the players and the fans at the time. You know, they're, they're, I think their owner, Vincent Tan, had tried to, because of his belief, um, sort of deep-rooted cultural belief that red was a, a lucky colour and the blue was an unlucky colour. He tried to make Cardiff play in red all of a sudden, which... Uh, the fact that their nicknames the Bluebirds and it contradicts them <laughs> about 120 years of history, and so so they Cardiff were a bit of a basket case at the time. So it would be wrong to kind of judge Solskjaer on the basis of not not keeping that club up. But you know, to then give him the you know, if you're going to sack a, uh, a, a an experienced manager like Jose Mourinho halfway through a season, and then give it to somebody based on the fact that. He was good coming off the bench in the uh, late nineties and early two thousands, and scored the winner in the nineteen ninety nine Champions League final. It is, it's, it can work out, but it is a, it's such a dangerous game to play. And as it turned out, he had a short term impact. He seemed to have a feel good factor. The fans re engaged. They loved him. You know, uh, he, he certainly to their fans, anyway, is a likable, um, likable. I mean, I'd, I'd personally question that. Uh, a bit. Uh, I'm not sure how genuine that was. I never bought into it. But any, but anyway, um, and but ultimately he came unstuck because he didn't seem to really have any tactical know-how. And he also, and this is the fundamental error. And this is where you know I I see echoes with uh, the past and you know my own club. He seemed to think that the answer was always something that could be kind of regurgitated from previous success without acknowledging how football's evolved and changed and thinking that you just have to you just have to kind of replicate that. So try and manage in the same way that Alex Ferguson did for, for 25, 26 years. And without realising that you can't do that anymore, those he that he had created through his own uh, achievements a unique position to be able to run have a level of control at a club that pretty much no one will probably ever have again at a at an elite club 
so you have to be now to be a top level manager you have to be a proper kind of coach on the grass as they always uh, call it you have to have a, a real impact even if you're not doing all the coaching yourself you have to surround yourself with a team that are going to um, implement your kind of blueprint on how they play and ensure that that is driven into them every single day and ideally you want all the teams from from like under 10s upwards playing in that same way so that then by the time those uh, players, if they get to a stage where they're good enough to be considered for the first team, they slot into a system and an idea seamlessly. And I don't think Solskjaer ever, because Ferguson had the luxury for his success of being able to kind of, you know, um, um, delegate quite a lot of stuff to, you know, coaches and assistant managers. I think Solskjaer thought he could he could do that and he couldn't, and he was out of his depth. And you could see you could see he was out of his depth because he never truly appeared to understand why his team had made the errors that they had, why they'd lost the games that they did. In the same way that, like, say, for example, Thomas Tuchel, Chelsea won a game the other night against Watford, and yet he's afterwards saying, uh, we weren't prepared, we weren't mentally prepared, I take responsibility for that, we were tactically naive, we were not um, sharp enough, and we were incredibly lucky to win the game. And you look at that and you think, that is a man who, I know that he's not, He's not unique. Managers have have accepted their, you know, their teams have been lucky when they've won before. So I'm not suggesting that's anything particularly revolutionary, but it just it it adds to his um, the certainly the impression you get with with him with Tuchel that he's someone who his his demands for standards are sky high and completely unambiguous and every single player in that squad if they ever want to get picks need to understand exactly what is required of them at every stage and in every situation on the pitch and that he has utter control over that and uh, that's really what you need to be uh, a modern manager and that's what you know that's why if you have a manager like that who is then successful the more the longer they are there the more kind of benefit you see from that because uh, you know, you, you brought up Jurgen Klopp. Jurgen Klopp's been at Liverpool since October 2015, so over six years now. And directly as a result of the way in which he runs the club, when players like um, uh, Curtis Jones and Harvey Elliott and now countless other um, young lads who have been getting a chance in League Cup games and even the odd you know, uh, league match this season, when they come into the side, there's no adaptation required there's an adaptation to be made in terms of adjusting to the level of quality and the intensity of the game and the supporters and all that full stadium and, and, and the scrutiny but tactically they know what they're doing because they've played that role and the players alongside them are making similar movements and playing this creating the same shape as they would have been playing all the way through the 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 kind of youth system as they were developing and that's that's the difference so so Sentimental appointments can work, but they can only work if you give it give the opportunity to the right person. Now, Stephen Gerrard, it's in a way if you if if you if you take the view, if you agree with this narrative that his destiny is inevitably to end up managing Liverpool one day, then from a Liverpool perspective, you can't actually lose because you know as a Liverpool fan at the moment, you're kind of sitting there going, okay. He went and cut his teeth in Scotland in a really, you know, it's, again, it's very easy to, when you don't live in Scotland, to just dismiss Scottish football as lower quality than English football and and that only two teams ever win. But that is to completely underestimate 
the goldfish bowl of intensity that you put yourself into when you get involved with either Celtic or Rangers. It is a level of intensity that no English clubs could ever understand because it is a completely different world in terms of the the the, the level of rivalry and, and, and outright hatred, really, between the, the two clubs and the historical and religious and sociological context behind all of that. And the way then, because there's not a huge amount of other kind of, you know, big clubs up there in Scotland, the way in which then everything you do in your life is hyper-analysed and you're, you know, everything you do in the local area will be seen and, you know, you don't get an awful lot of breathing space. So to be able to then deal with that and now come and, and be very successful and to, you know, break... I mean, I personally wasn't particularly happy to see him do it because I don't I don't like Rangers. I like Stephen Gerrard, but, I don't, but to see him break Celtic's run of league title wins, which, you know... A very notable achievement, and now to come and test himself at Aston Villa, he can go there, and he can basically sink or swim. And if he if he swims and does a great job and looks like he'd be suited to take over when Jurgen's had enough, fantastic! You get you get the benefit of giving giving the job to a top class manager and someone who's one of the greatest players ever to wear the red shirt. If he doesn't then someone else has had has tested him out it's not worked out and we don't have to kind of get our hands dirty so you you kind of can't can't lose in that respect <laughs> and like you look at Frank Lampard i mean that was again a, a, that was a sentimental appointment it was possibly a little bit more based on what they thought was managerial success but it was still a massive risk he'd had one season at derby county he'd got his team playing some really good football they got to the um, uh, playoff final um, and lost and then on the back of that he gets the Chelsea job and I think it was just a, maybe a case of too soon I'm not sure I mean he, 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 time will tell whether he's actually got it in him to be an elite manager or not um, so that probably was a case of being a little bit too sentimental too early and what that's unfortunately done is kind of limited his op- his ability to go back there but having said that as I I made the point last week Chelsea kind of are run under different principles and different rules to everyone else so you never rule anything out and if if Lampard go let's just say he went to uh, Newcastle I don't know whatever and does a really good job for two or three years and you know stabilizes things and gets a reputation for playing like really amazing progressive football shows some tactical acumen um, and maybe maybe picks up a trophy or gets to some a final or an a really unexpectedly high league position in two or three years time. If Thomas Tuchel um, isn't around, then who's to say he wouldn't get that job again. But I mean, that's, that's a lot of hypotheticals in there, but you know, it can work out. Trouble is if it doesn't, it does. It's worse than if a normal unconnected manager fails because it then, you know, there's that question of whether it compromises the reputation that that person had at the club previously. Now, in the case of Solskjaer and Lampard, I'm absolutely certain it won't. I mean, you only have to look at, you know, for a start, Lampard lost his job during a period of when the stadium was empty anyway, so there was never the opportunity for the fans to turn against him based on results. But I don't think they would have done because he's so, I mean, he is probably the most successful and best Chelsea player of all time. You know, all the stats certainly suggest he is. Um, and the same with Solskjaer, you know, they've, I've, I have noticed that, and it's to their credit, you know, uh, you know, no point being churlish about this, they've been singing his name in the two or three games since he's, um, since he's been sacked. And that's to demonstrate 
the kind of, you know, don't worry, we know it didn't work out, but we still love you because you're the guy who scored the winner in the Champions League final. And, you know, we, we love you regardless. And that, that's great. And I'm glad it's, it's like that. And it probably would have to get pretty bad for even their, their playing reputation to be tarnished. Um, but uh, but it can it can kind of go that way, and uh, it's 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 sad and kind of awkward when it does. But yeah, very good point, Matthew. <laughs> Thank you. Very more very of the, good. More point. of those next week. Yeah, I was just uh, and and you have you have bailed me out really because I couldn't really think of much to talk about other than <laughs> I mean I was gonna I was gonna maybe enjoy um, the struggles of Everton a little bit in a week in which. Uh, We've gone and won the Merseyside Derby 4-1 on their own patch and they've just, you know, they've lost something like six out of the last seven because they really are. Like, we talk about bar- clubs with problems. Nobody that, that, likes to No, no, but they are a b- basket case of a club and I feel I feel really sorry for um, Rafa. I, but I said, didn't I, back in, when was it, September? No, August, J- July even, when he got that job, that that would not last and it was doomed to failure because his connections with Liverpool will give him less um, rope on which to hang himself than a normal manager with with his reputation would get. Because it means that when things start to go badly, not only is it Rafa Benitez, it's Liverpool's Rafa Benitez. <laughs> and they would have hated, you know, Everton, I mean, think about it from their perspective the other night. They're being absolutely played off their own pitch uh, 4-1 and... The to the extent that their fans are leaving from like half time onwards, and yet the away fans who they absolutely hate are singing the name of the Everton manager to talk <laughs> to talk them. I mean that is that is if you flip that round. I mean that that's all that would that's awful. That is a stuff of nightmares. So and I but I feel really sorry for him because they've been running that club so badly. The money they've spent about half a billion quid since they're uh, you know I think they they avoid a lot of scrutiny because things at Old Trafford have been so bad and they've been such a basket case for so many years. But Everton, my God, like, you know, to get a new billionaire owner and to, and to, for him to then spend his money on... I mean, I think they've... they've, they've I mean, look, there's no point break, breaking it down and going into it, but they've essentially bought about three or four players who cost all of them over £20 million are all playing exactly the same position. They just seem to... Because they're trying desperately to get into that elite section of clubs, they buy players who are either looking like they could be um, able to take them to that level or who have been at that level and are just slightly on the decline. And neither of those strategies are working. And they're all over the place. And uh, you know, they're building a massive new stadium down on the, um, on the riverfront um, in Liverpool... But, you know, what kind of a state are they going to be in by the time they move in? And they're going to have to apportion a lot of money um, to that. But So that'll be interesting to keep an eye on. The other, the other thing I was just going to quickly mention was the Ballon d'Or was awarded this week to Lionel Messi, I think, for the seventh time. And just kind of... I, I have no interest in, in that whatsoever. And just stepping back and just watching people lose... I mean, I know social media is not a good barometer of sort of human behaviour and reaction, you know, and it's it's not the pla- not a place for rational um, and kind of reasoned debate. But, you know, people just... I think they give that, that award way too much um, sort of credibility and credence. It is essentially... It's a, it is a, 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 it's a... It's an award... It's a vanity project. It's an award given um, by representatives of... Uh, 
journalists from, I think, about 150 different countries around the world, a lot of whom haven't, wouldn't necessarily have even seen um, huge amounts of European club football during that season. So they essentially just vote for, right, who, who do they think is the best <laughs> player in the world? You even look, they broke it down the other day on the thing I was listening to on Five Live. When you actually look at the criteria, it's absolutely mental. So it's, it's, some of it is like performance in the last year, you know, trophies won or whatever. But then there's things like sportsmanship and talent. I mean, try and quantify <laughs> talent. That's mental. So by that definition, you could be someone who... On a scale of one to ten. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you could be someone who it's generally accepted. You are the most gifted footballer of your generation, but you achieve absolutely nothing in your career. <laughs> but you, they could just see, wow, look at the talent that guy. And you win, you win the Ballon d'Or ten years in a row. It's mental. Um, and it seems mad to complain about any award given to uh, Lionel Messi because I, I genuinely regard him as the best footballer certainly I've ever seen in my life, um, with possible exception of um, Diego Maradona. But I think just in terms of consistency over such a number of years and uh, the way he he can just lead a team and 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 he's you know the, the best player in the best club team I've ever seen. You know, it's it, it is it, it feels a bit mean spirited to moan about anything being awarded to him. And it was a year, at least, in which he did win his first international one, um, winning the Copa America for Argentina. So brilliant. Um, but by his standards, he's not. He's probably slightly over his best now, and he didn't have the best year. And there are players who are, you know, absolutely ripping it up. In, I mean, I think it should have gone to an Italian player because they were brilliant in the Euros. But the trouble is, you have there is pulling somebody out of what was very much a team effort that wasn't based on kind of individual flair. They weren't relying on one guy to score their goals or whatever. But someone like Jorginho, who's had a brilliant season, won the Champions League with Chelsea, won the European Championship with uh, Italy, and it was a fundamental part of both. And you kind of look at it and go, yeah, should he not have maybe won that? But, <laughs> but, but there's no point getting angry about it because that's not the way that, that, that uh, award works. That's not the way the criteria works. So just let it go and like, dismiss it for what it is. It's a bit of fun. It's a vanity project and it, and it is completely inconsequential. <laughs> and it only seems to matter. The only people it seems to matter to are the people who, are, who win it that year. And Cristiano Ronaldo, who <laughs> wants everyone to know about it when he's won it. And equally, when he doesn't win it, he wants everyone to know how unhappy he has about it. So, for that alone, actually, maybe it's uh, it's always worth uh, it's always worth tuning in. And that's it, Matt. Concise. We're done for the week. I've got nothing else to say. Uh, I've enjoyed right. that very much, and I enjoy particularly hearing about your uh, your advent calendar, your tea coffee dilemma, and your Friday night activity. It was a real uh, it was a real pleasure, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot, and I'm just gonna. I'm going to look forward to hearing those three um, superb and insightful answers you gave to the three separate independent questions <laughs> that I asked you at the beginning of the podcast. That's all I have to say. Goodbye. <laughs>